You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. Everything good for you? Yes, very much so. Uh, thank you. Excellent. January is coming in like a lamb. <laughs> hey, all the rain, no snow. I know, although I heard there's going to be a lot of snow in uh, in February, so I'm Enjoying the days while it's uh, oh, well, they it's said there was going to be a lot of snow all winter, so things change. Well, that's true, minute by minute. But uh, skiing has been just a disaster. My son is up there now working oh. in uh, Blue Mountain, and uh, it's so quiet up there. It's just the the hills are just getting really, really sabotaged by all the rain. Oh. It's kind of unfortunate. Our ski season's actually gone down to uh, two months tops. There's yeah. not much at all going so. on in December and. Uh, been completely washed out when we left we were up there a couple weeks ago there's it was green it was like spring hmm, that's a bit unfortunate it is if you like to, to celebrate like the snow for that's sure, for yeah. sure but yeah. uh, i don't mind it here i don't mind the although right around freezing at the ice is uh, yeah. the rain is a little that, treretrous that, that's, that's the one thing i don't like sure, yes but uh, other than that it's been pretty good to start off 2020 with uh, the nice warmer weather it has been. It has been. Today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, so do follow us. We are at the Health Hub RMC. And do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions, concerns, anything you'd like to chat with us about. One day, I, I swear I'm going to come in without any pages in front of me, because I, I think that I can do this this off by heart, this whole, the front part of this, but uh, I'm still still. A little I, bit. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to put a date on that, but maybe what you could do is hand me the pieces of paper. Yeah, could, you can prompt me. I could prompt you. In, in, in any case, I'm in sure any case. you'll pull it off anyway. Regardless, uh, it's it, it's it, when I when I have the pages in front of me, I, I can do it without. It. I just know that if I don't have them, I it would uh, it would be a bit of a disaster. Anyways, moving Show on. Prep. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all of your favorite podcasts. Podcast platforms, and you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is uh, radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. My website is undergoing a small, tra- well, a big transformation. So uh, hopefully, the Health Hub um, will look a little bit uh, better with the new addition of, of my website. It's uh, I've got some help this go around. My last website was was uh, I had some help setting it up, but I've I did a lot of the inputting and stuff myself. Up- and uploading yourself. That's oh right. yeah, my goodness! Yeah. And unless no, you're it, a, it, a professional in this area, I mean, I, I just did what really I needed to do. It takes a lot of time to develop something that is uh, informative, eye catching, and dynamic. Right? That's what you want from a website. And it it really does, you've and got you know, it, that are thinking about that twenty four seven. So exactly, if you're able to, then and you might as well. Get somebody get to help, somebody but it, it, it's not a it's not a um, a cheap venture. Let me tell you. Oh, and no. to Even to get a website done and redone, I mean, I've pretty much brought over most things. But uh, yeah, even I have a personal website. I don't have anybody uh, managing it other than myself. And the amount of time that, or the amount of time needed. Just from a creative, creativity yes. point of view. Yeah, and then that, if if you're working with somebody, they need to get into your head. Yeah. Because, you know, um, I had a first draft of it, and it was, you know, it's not, it was not my way of reflecting what I do. Right. So, you know, it's a bit of a back and forth and mm-hmm. a bit of a back and forth, but... Uh, Technology is beautiful in some ways, but it's, uh, man, it's time consuming. Well, but, good luck uh, with, with your new Thank new you. Out, I'll let you all know when it, when it launches. Um, 
I don't know how soon that will be, but uh, it's a work in progress, like everything Very else with exciting. me, with everything else. Um, I, uh, as with some of the things that I talk about, it, this has come from an experience and and uh, experience that we all share. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to look that up and talk about it on the show. That that lovely time between lunch and dinner when your tummy starts to grumble, or if you're doing uh, the oh. timed eating, you know, you finished eating at 7 o'clock and around 10 o'clock, you get the tummy grumbles and and I yeah. got to thinking why does our tummy grumble mm-hmm. and of course when I when I looked for the the answers it makes a lot of sense um, some of these questions we just take for granted and as a sign of hunger but I'm going to come and telling you that it's not actually a sign of hunger so let's go through this so uh, we all have grumbles and gurgles and and we always feel that in a quiet room ours is the only tummy that makes noise of course there's many embarrassing situations where the room is quiet no yeah it happens to everybody but the noise doesn't happen on radio (laughs) well hopefully your microphone's up high enough so unless your tummy really has some uh, (laughs) some talking to you to do (laughs) but uh, it's it's something that we all have and the noise that you're hearing is coming uh, not only from your stomach, but also from your small intestine. And actually, your um, your system makes noises all of the time. And as the, the food gets pulled, uh, pushed and pulled through your digestive system and the food gets broken down, what happens is your microbiome gets involved and through all these processes, gas is formed and air gets into the uh, the chime. And as, as that's getting through your small and large intestine, the food is, is accumulating some air and gases. And so what you're hearing is uh, the sounds that these gases and air makes. Um, but when you have food in your stomach and in your system, the food will absorb some of the sound. So we always have, because, you know, it takes, I'll get into the digestive process just a touch. It takes, it takes about two days for food to get digested from the stomach in through the small intestine, through the colon and out. So we're, you know, obviously have food in all the time, but varying amounts. So the food acts as sort of like those buffers and, you know, mm-hmm. I guess the sound room here yep. to, to buffer some of the sounds. These sounds are always ongoing. Soundproofing. Soundproofing. That's exactly it. Yep. So these sounds are always going on, but as the, the foods tends to get filtered through, there's no sound buffering. So these sounds are actually um, heard more. Mm-hmm. And these, of course, when there's less food in our system and we have the grumbling. We assume that it's because we're hungry, but it's not. Okay, so do you, do you follow me along with that? We're always yeah. grumbling. It's the right. food that buffers the sound. And right. I think psychologically, we've just associated more of a sound with an emptier tummy mm-hmm. and, the, and the food signals. But uh, as I was saying, it takes about six to eight hours for the food to pass through your stomach and into the small intestine. And then it enters the large intestine for further digestion and absorption and uh, elimination of water. And it pretty much takes 36 to um, 40, 42 hours for the the stomach to, uh, or the, the system to digest all of its food. So there's always something mm-hmm. going on. There's always noises that are going to be gurgling and being being made um, and and just now know that it's not because you're hungry. It's because your system is letting you know that things are chugging along. So there you go. That's my little my little talking point for, for everybody now and they can go and wow somebody else as I was wowed when I figured this out. Our guest today is a returning guest, uh, one of my favorite guests, uh, Sean Swarner. Sean was voted one of the world's top eight most inspirational people of all time, receiving countless awards alongside such distinguished individuals as Archbishop Desmond Tutu and climbing to the summit of the highest points on all seven continents. Sean has reached millions during his travels and speeches around the globe. He is not only the first, but only person in history to have accomplished his amazing feats and is constantly breaking through defined human limitation, redefining the way the world views success. And miraculously, he has done everything after receiving a prognosis of 14 days to live, having survived a medically induced coma for nearly a year and with only one functioning lung. Sean is author of Keep Climbing. He is president and CEO of Swarner Expeditions and is the co-founder of the Cancer Climber Association. We are going to talk today about uh, survivors, cancer survivors needing support. This is a much needed area 
<coughs> excuse me, in the area of cancer care. We are very devoid in this area, and uh, Sean is a cancer survivor, and I am a cancer survivor, so we can talk pointedly to this um, this specific area. So what Sean is, is trying to do and what he is doing is he is reaching out to cancer survivors. We have a unique set of issues that we need to deal with, and... Um, you know, it's it's through really nobody's fault that cancer survivors uh, sort of fall off the radar after treatment is done in the medical area. Um, but Sean is working hard to fill this. And we're going to talk about some of the very unique needs of cancer survivors and how he is bridging that gap and making transition from patient to civilian for cancer survivors. So we are going to talk about what survivors need and what needs to be included in a standard cancer care protocol, what areas specifically in cancer survivors need to be addressed, and how we can address this growing need of the population. It is a concern. However, it is more of a a concern with a silver lining because we are definitely seeing uh, more and more cancer survivors. So this is a testament to uh, integrative health, to the medical system. And and because we need people like Sean, again, this is the silver lining that we have more cancer survivors, therefore creating this need. So um, a happier picture uh, than it was many years ago. So after our break, we will be talking with Sean.
Welcome back, everybody. Today's show is live. Please do call in. Our number is 416-245-1534. You still do have time to send in some of your questions. Uh, uh, DM me on Twitter would be the best. Uh, our, our handle on Twitter is at the Health Hub RMC, as it is on Facebook and Instagram. Sean, welcome to the show. Such a pleasure to have you back. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, you just got home from some treacherous travel. That right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess you'd say that. It's uh, kind of interesting. My uh, my wife and I got married February last year, so she's she's Puerto Rican, and we always spend as much time as we can uh, with her family still down on the island. Um, obviously, you know the winter time here in Colorado or winter time in Puerto Rico. It, it's a little bit nicer <laughs> down there, a little bit warmer. But unfortunately, uh, we were staying on the beach one night, and um, we were seven miles from the epicenter when we got just rattled out of bed, and we just we just evacuated as quickly as we could. And there were rocks rolling down the side of the uh, the hills onto the road, and, and giant boulders that were probably half the size of a car. Hmm. And it was, it was absolutely unbelievable. And, and the island still being rocked. I mean, it, it, within a week, they got uh, they got hit by I want to say a thousand earthquakes. Really. That's too bad. You but you flew out right away, or did you stick around for a bit, or what were you doing? Well, we we couldn't change our flight, um, so we we flew out. Uh, we got home Saturday, so we were down there in the earthquakes for about a week, and I think we're still trying to get used to the fact that the ground's not shaking here. Hmm. I mean, it's 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 weird because when we got on the plane, and then, and then when we actually landed in Miami. We were just standing there, and we could feel, when you're in the airport, you can feel the ground kind of shaking, the airport shaking, and, mm-hmm. you know, just almost like PTSD. Both of us looked at, looked at each other and, and said, oh, my God, it's, it's moving. And, you know, sitting next to somebody at the airport getting ready to board, you know, people have this, this, this little anxious twitch in their leg where they just bounce their leg up and down. Even that would set us off. Sometimes. Really? And, but her family's okay? Everyone was okay? Her family's okay. Good. Um they island wide they lost power uh, and then they slowly have been rebuilding the uh, the infrastructure there and they're slowly getting power back into each one of the metropolitan cities and for some reason uh, another earthquake came through this morning i want to say it was a 5.6 or something again and um it it, it took out power island wide again so they're they're back to ground zero trying to rebuild Hmm. The world is going through some things right now. Um, Australia and, and Puerto Rico, it's really, it's really something. Um, but on to uh, the, the subject at hand. What I'd like you to do, Sean, is you know, go over your history so people have uh, the paradigm from which you are launching and where your life uh, has trajectoried. So if you could just do that for everybody and, and you know, re, rekindle their... their, their um, their knowledge of you. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, uh, <laughs> depends on how far you want me to go back. You know, I was born in 1974. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go that um, far back. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, I think everybody at, at, at a point in their lives, they, they sit and they think, okay, am, am I alive or, or am I living? So my life really started living uh, when I was diagnosed at 13 with advanced stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I remember sitting in the hospital and the, the doctor coming in. For, I was born, in, born and raised in a super small town in, in Ohio called Willard, Ohio. And I remember the doctor coming, just a regular doctor, uh, our general practitioner. And he asked mom and dad to step out in the hallway. And that was the first time that we actually heard of the, uh, the infamous uh, O word. And he looked at him and just said, Terry Scott, my parents' name, uh, do you know any oncologists? And instantly the red flags went off. At 13, I didn't really understand what oncology was. I didn't understand and, and truly grasp the concept of what cancer meant. But I knew it, it was something terrible. And eventually, like I said, I was diagnosed advanced stage four Hodgkin's, and, and the doctors told my parents, hey, your firstborn son uh, has three months to live. So here I am now. You know, I, I'm 13 years old on the cusp of my teen years on, on just starting my life, and I now have an expiration date. So we, we tried to, uh, to help me be as normal as possible. You know, whenever I had bad days, obviously, I would stay home from school. Um, and whenever I had good days, I would, I would do as much as I possibly could. And 
you know, the teachers would even call my mom and dad and say, look, you know, there, there's a bug going around school. There are a lot of students that are sick, and uh, we don't think Shoshan should come in today. And I think I was the only kid who was in the eighth grade who actually wanted to go to school because I was tired of being in the hospital. But eventually, you know, I went through 10 months to a year of chemotherapy, you know, in and out of the hospital, just doing everything I could to, to focus on, on getting well. Um, in fact, I remember uh, about two months into the treatment, uh, I woke up and I was just sitting on the side of my bed. And I looked to my left and, and on my pillow, you know, where, where my head was just laying it, seconds before, um, I noticed that it was covered in hair. And I, I, I heard the idea and the concept of, of the potential of my hair falling out because of the chemotherapy. So I ran into the bathroom and I just looked at my head in the, in the, in the mirror thinking maybe I can comb it over, maybe I can stop it from falling out, maybe I can do something to prevent it from from, from being bald. And I knew it was eventually it was inevitable and then went into the shower, turned on the water. And as I was sitting there washing my head, every time I brought my hands down and, and looked at my hands, they were covered in hair. And I at, at that moment, I collapsed to the floor, I fell to my hands and knees, I, I lost it. I absolutely started uh, tearing up. And then I was crying like a little baby. And, and I was, at that moment, I was, I was 60 pounds overweight. I was bald from head to toe. I was pulling chunks of hair out of the drain, crying my eyeballs out. And it was also in, in that same moment, and, and I, I vividly remember it, and because I was thinking, you know, what, what are my friends doing? At the same time that I'm in the shower, as, as I just described, you know, while they're getting ready for school, I'm getting ready for school. Two completely different perspectives. You know, my friends were worried about the, the latest shoes, uh, the nice hairstyles, being popular. I was literally worried about my life, you know, and, and surviving. There, there were nights I went to bed not knowing if I was going to wake up the next morning. So I, I, I truly developed a completely different sense uh, of a perspective. So eventually I was, I was put into remission and I was going in for a checkup um, about a year out from the Hodgkin. So I was 15, almost 16 years old. And I was going in for a checkup for the Hodgkin's, and that's when they found a second, uh, completely unrelated primary cancer on my right lung. Um, this time around, they, they diagnosed me with a type of cancer that affects three out of a million people with a prognosis of 6%. So putting some numbers on that, if you have 100 people who are diagnosed with this illness, 94 people die. Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed with a type of cancer that literally they, they told my parents again, this time around, your son has 14 days to live two weeks. I mean, my, my, my parents, you know, I'm the firstborn son. They went through, they went through the first cancer with me. They got, they got me better. Everybody goes through it. And as, as you know, too, cancer is not an individual disease. So it wasn't just me going through it. It was my mom, it was my dad, it was my younger brother. And then all of a sudden we thought everything was great. Everything's clear. Everything's fantastic. Bam, all of a sudden, now I get the second cancer, 14 days to live. So the doctors actually put me in a medically induced coma for almost a year uh, because the treatments were so harsh. And this time around, um, I'm, I'm still from my understanding, I'm the only person in the world who's ever been diagnosed with both Hodgkin's lymphoma and Askin's sarcoma, uh, which is a branch of Ewing's sarcoma. And it was, it was absolutely horrible. I went in for three months of intense chemo, one month of radiation therapy, and then 10 or 11 more months of chemo after that. And every time I was in the hospital uh, for the treatments, that's when the doctors put me in a medically induced coma. I, I honestly, except for that one month of radiation therapy, I don't remember being 16 years old. You know, this time around, I lost about 60 pounds. Um, I, again, I lost my friends, lost all my hair, lost everything. My life was on pause. And I, I started focusing on, on what I could focus on. And it wasn't focusing on not dying. It was focusing on living. I mean, if, 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 if I look back at it now, in that moment when I was laying on the, uh, the, house, the, um, the shower floor, and if I decided to look at life and, and tell myself, oh, man, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, you know, how would things be different as opposed to me looking at it and saying, I want to live, I want to survive, I want to fight? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I bet you I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. No, the perspective is completely different, and and I'm sure you've said this line a million times, but uh, you said, am I alive or am I living? And that's profound as well, Um, two very different perspectives. So it's not hard to understand why you're passionate about the area of cancer, 
cancer care and and people with cancer, but why have you chosen to focus on survivorship? You know, that's a great question. For a while, you know, fast forward about 10 years after I was in remission, I was a, uh, I guess I was a bum because I was in college. And then for me, college, I guess you could call it university for college. It was, it was a, it was a hundred thousand dollar party. I had a wonderful time. (laughs) Thank you, mom and dad. Um, (laughs) I had a blast. And then I, I graduated and then I decided, okay, well, I need to do something else with my life. And I was accepted to a number of universities and I wanted to be a, uh, a psycho-oncologist. I wanted to be a psychologist for cancer patients, but I didn't help myself first. You know, I still had issues. I didn't realize that cancer really took a toll on me because it, it changes who you are if you let it. And it can change you in, in a good way. And when I tell my friends, you know, cancer was one of the best things that's ever happened to me, but also one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. But it's, 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 it's all based on perspective. And I remember going in for one of my last treatments and the doctor said, you know, you're in remission. And I remember everyone being so happy. My mom, my dad, my family, everybody wanted to throw a party. And, and I think now they, they, they ring a bell and mm-hmm. say, hey, you're in remission. Fantastic. That's awesome. And it, and it is. It really is. But going through the treatments, I had so much support. I had everything laid out in front of me. I knew exactly what I was doing because there was this protocol. There was this treatment plan that was, that was dialed in. And I was just following that and doing what, I guess, doing what I was told. And then all of a sudden, hey, Sean, you're in remission. I'm like, that's fantastic. What the hell do I do now? Exactly. You no, know, my, my, my life was literally the next day. My life was literally that, that day. And all of a sudden, now you're telling me, hey, go out and live your life. You have years ahead of you. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what do I do? How do I do that? Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, don't, I didn't even know where to begin. So I wanted to, and now after, you know, climbing the Everest and the Seven Summits, and I, I think I kind of did things a little backwards where my friends after college, you know, they went and they got jobs and, and they worked and they got married and they had kids and they did all that stuff. And I kind of went out and I explored and I did all that stuff that I suppose that if you look at it from a, a, a I guess, a normal um, point of view, I, I went out and I did all that stuff that they're doing now earlier in my life. So now that their kids are gone, now that their kids are, you know, their kids are older, um, they're looking at going on adventures as opposed to um, working and trying to go up that, that uh, uh, the, the um, hierarchy, the ladder to, to get higher in their, their office position. You know, now I'm thinking, okay, well, I've done what I've done and I've, I've, I've accomplished some amazing things, but I, I want to help more and I want to give back more. And I'm thinking, okay, well... I want to help people understand that cancer is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Again, depending on your perspective, because yes, the, 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 the treatments are horrible. The experience might be horrible, but if you have the proper attitude, it's, and I think we talked about this before, and pardon my French again, but you know, cancer sucks. Mm-hmm. However, if you have a good attitude, it sucks less. And I want people yeah. to understand that if you have the proper attitude, you can go through it and see it as a, uh, a way to build yourself, and it actually made you stronger. So now I want people to look back and realize that what they've gone through can help them for the, for the future. Perspective is, is key. And, you know, when you're first diagnosed, um, you were very young, but so I, it, it's hard to know the mind of a child, uh, how that impacted you. When you're an adult and you're diagnosed, um, you know, mortality is the first thing that you think of. And I think we talked about this part before, too, if we can get to that point where a cancer diagnosis doesn't automatically make us go to that horrible place. Uh, that's a big, big step because your immune system is impacted and your mental health is impacted. So making that perspective, having that perspective is key because once you get in your mind, you know, at the outset of a diagnosis that you're going to put your head down and you're going to do what you need to do to come through the other side, that does change everything. Um, and it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy, I see it uh, all the time. And it's hard for people to, to grab that way of thinking. So I totally understand what you're talking about. Um, cancer survivors, 
once they go through the process, as you were speaking, there is uh, this this abyss that they they ring the bell and and then off they go, and until um, until you know people like you bring it forth, there is an issue that needs to be dealt with, and it's not just the physiology and going forward and how do you how do you you know keep up with your doctor's appointment. There's this whole mental health piece that needs to be overcome. So when we get back from our break, Sean, um, let's discuss the unique characteristics that survivors face or the unique challenges that survivors face and where you're coming in to to help them out. So we'll be back after this this break. I wake up, I feel it, those fears are back again. Can't shake them, can't make them, ever fade, ever end. Am I good enough? Do I measure up? Feels like a war I can't win. But I wasn't given the spirit of fear. I was given the power of love. Everything I've been fighting against. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Sean Swarner. Sean, uh, we've got a couple of questions that have come in, and I'm going to try and work them through. I'll point them out to you as I as I read them off, but it, they all sort of encompass the same idea with these challenges that cancer uh, survivors face. In your experience and in the areas that you're working on, where are these uh, challenges most relevant, do you feel? You know, that, that's a good question. And honestly, I think the, the challenges are most relevant in how people perceive their cancer. And, and it goes to anybody in the world because every, everybody worries. And it, it's part of the human condition. You know, you know, the only people who don't worry are dead people. You know, every single person who's alive has worries. And I think what, what really gets into people's heads is a lot of times when they're going in for their, their checkup, you know, obviously fear starts to take over and people think, Oh, it's all in my head and I wish it would leave. 
and, and, and that's that's true. You know, I go in once a year for my checkup as well, but it's it's not the actual thing that people have an issue with. It's their relationship with it, because fear can be either perceived or it's real. You know, and it's actually it's it's great the song that you had during the break. I, I won't be afraid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just kept repeating it over and over. This was this was fantastic. Was, Thanks to Alex, he always uh, tries to match the show to the to- or the <laughs> music to the topic. He does a great job. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, and and fear can be perceived or real. You know, it, it, and it is all in your head when you go in for your checkup. People focus on, oh, I don't want to get cancer again. I don't want to get cancer again. What people focus on is oftentimes what happens. I'm not saying that you're, you're going to get cancer again. I, I don't want to say it at all. But if, if you're sliding on ice in your car, what you're focused on is what you're going to hit. You know, a perfect example is um, when I was going through my treatments, I, I, like I said, I wasn't focused on not dying. I was focused on living. If, if you're walking down the street and you're telling yourself, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, you're, you're going to fall on your face. But if you turn it around from a different perspective and you think to yourself, stand tall, walk strong, you know, same concept, different perspective. So if, if people focus more on what they want as opposed to the avoidance of what they don't want, I think they could gain more control over that fear. How do you do that? Because uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a fear. If, it, it, and it, it's, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? You can't, you can't just throw it away. It's relevant, that fear. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly. not, you, you can't tell someone that fear is illogical. It, it's not illogical. Um, how do you change your mindset? It, it, great. You, you know, you, you can't control the fact that, that you have a checkup. And you can't control the fact that you had cancer. But you can control your relationship with it and how you react. And it's not something that, that happens completely overnight. It, it's just like, um, you know, bodybuilders. How do they get big? You know, they don't go in on a Thursday and work out for five hours. They go in every day and work out for an hour. And that's when people need to understand that um, consistency is more important than intensity. It's not when you go in for the checkup, now you're going to change your thought pattern. You have 360 some other days to work on your thought patterns before that day comes. So if, if you start paying attention to your thought patterns throughout your day, you know, and you develop a different relationship with it, going, changing things that I, I, I call micro changes. So when people develop these, these tiny changes, one thing a day, you know, and, and it's, it's society in general, I think. You know, most people when they wake up, they turn on the news. Most people when they go to bed, they turn on the news. You know, obviously they want to get caught up and know what's going on in the world. However, 99.999% of the news is, is negative. So you're bookending your day on a negative note. You're starting off on a negative note. You're already putting all this, this negative energy into your mind, into your body. You're starting your day off on a negative note. You're going to bed with, on a negative note. I, I do this every night, and this is, this is part of the, the, the program I'm putting together. I challenge people for three weeks, grab a journal. You know, whatever journal you like, if, if it has pink butterflies on it, fantastic. If it makes you happy, that's even better. Open it up and every night write down five things that happened that day that you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And journal about one of them. Not necessarily what it was, but how it made you feel. Because what that does, and science has proven this, it actually restructures your synaptic connections to focus on the positives and be more positive as opposed to being, being programmed by the news to be negative. That way you're starting to tap into your value system. And that's what my program helps people do. With, I have a, a core values assessment to help people understand what their values are. So it's not just that one day that they go in for the checkup when they think, oh, I need to control my thoughts. No, it's 364 days out of the year that you can control your thoughts that you're warming up for and in, in, in practicing before you get in there. You know, it's just like people who run a marathon. It's not like you could walk outside tomorrow and go run 26.2 miles. You know, you work up to it. It's the same thing with your thoughts. You, you slowly start paying attention and you start making conscious decisions based on what you value most. So something that's been popped up into mind, because when I'm working on myself and when I advise other people, you, you may think the impetus is wrong. And this is just from what you are what you've said. I'm wondering your opinion on, on the thought process of 
here's, you know, for instance, let's just do uh, basic things. Someone that I'm working with that is a survivor, I want them to have a good diet, I want them to exercise, and I want them to have sleep to help reduce the um, instance of recurrence. Is that focus incorrect in your mind? Should, uh, Should that be the focus to help reduce recurrence? Or should that be maybe just turn that whole mindset around and be to help promote your health? I, I think that's one part of, of, of a program. I think that's one part of the, the piece of the puzzle. You know, I, I think the, the biggest thing is people need to know why they're doing what they're doing. And it, it, you, when you said that you, that's what you wanted for that person, which is, which is fantastic, um, you can, it's like that old, um, uh, old saying, you know, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So you can want that person to eat healthy uh, with every fiber of your, of your being. But if that person isn't tapped into the same feeling, the same energy that you are, it's not going to happen. So if that person is doing it because you want them to, that person's not going to continue doing it. It's just going to be a fab that lasts for maybe two or three weeks and then that's it. But if you can help someone tap into the reason behind things, and, and like I said, if, if they can go and, and understand what their core values are, um, I think that really, really helps people to understand what makes them tick. And when I, when I talk about core values, I mean things like, um, you know, abundance, uh, fun, fulfillment, uh, holistic living, joy, leadership, things like that. And there are so many people in the world who, who want to live, they want to live a level 10 life. But you can't live a level 10 life if you're not living as a level 10 person. So using those numbers, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I have a, a sheet here with a bunch of uh, values on there where you go through and you can go in and just rate each one of these values. And if it doesn't mean anything to you, that's perfectly fine because everybody's an individual and there's absolutely no judgment. We all have a different background. We all have different perspectives. So if people understand what their core values are, you know, pick five or ten of them, then they can start making decisions based on that. So if they want to, um, let's say they want to, or they value joy at a ten, and they want to do the healthy eating, if they tap into how healthy eating makes them feel happier, that'll make them understand that they are living a more joyful life. So that way they can tap into the reason behind their doing it. I think it was Simon Sinek who talked about the, the why. And I think the why, going even further, is what values mean and what values are. When, I, I totally agree. When, I, I don't know if you can, can speak to this, but uh, what is offered at the, at the present time? Um, once a cancer survivor, once a, a cancer patient gets to the point of finishing their treatments, what can they expect? So um, anyone who's listening can see what you're offering versus what is, is given because it's, it's fairly one sheetish. Um, the, what, what the medical system does for us, uh, sort of more of an organizational piece. Have you seen um, their protocol? You know, I've, I've done a lot of research online, and what I did find online was all about medical histories, physical exams, uh, healthy living habits, uh, care plans, but not anything to do with actually helping someone move forward based on their individual values, what, what, what they actually want. And it's interesting because when, when people go into, and I'm not saying these aren't important, they're, they're very important. They are relevant. But when people, exactly, exactly. But what's what's happening, I think, on a psychological level, is they're talking about their medical histories, their physical exams, um, care plans. They're being they're still being tethered to their cancer, so they're still constantly being reminded of what they went through, not what they have to to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So what what works best for one person doesn't necessarily work best for another person. So like I said, you know, those are very important, but. All of the, the quote-unquote survivorship programs I've, I've seen were, were broken down into types of cancer. You know, in all honesty, I don't care what type of cancer someone had. I, help, I, I care about helping someone as a person because your cancer doesn't define who you are. You define who you are. And, and I've, I've actually heard, you know, commercials on, on TV and online, that, and, I, and I quote, this, this, this really, really irks me, and I quote, 
um, you've been through cancer. You've, you've had a lot of treatments. We're here to help you pick up the pieces. We can help fix this. And, and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, the people aren't broken. There's nothing to fix. You, you are not your cancer, so why should you live in fear of it? You know, you don't want to be trapped and tethered to it because you're not defined by your past. You know, there's, there's absolutely nothing you can do to change it, but you can choose, choose to change where you're going. And I think that's where the big, um, the big hole in this is. You know, there's no one there helping people move forward. All of these, these uh, programs are designed on keeping people tethered to what they went through. You know, sometimes I don't want to be reminded of, of going to bed and, and uh, being petrified of, of not waking up. I don't want to be reminded of, of vomiting for 36 hours straight. I want to be focused on what I want in the future. You know, the, the mind doesn't know, if, if you look into visualization, the mind doesn't know the difference between imagination and what's real. So if you're focusing on something that you want in the future and you just constantly visualize, and I did this for Everest, the seven summits, and everything that I've done, your mind doesn't know the difference. But if you're focusing on the cancer and you're focusing on avoiding something, it's real to you, just like going back to fear. Imagine fear versus real fear, your mind doesn't know the difference. It's 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 not even a nuance. It's two totally different ways of looking at things. And uh, you've laid out really a, um, a protocol for integrative care again. Um, you, you know, you need all these pieces. And the, the questions that I've I've had from listeners, uh, I'll give you a, two of them. For example, are 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 all still dealing with the fear? And the one question is. Um, I don't know how to talk to my husband about how I feel, you know, survivors and caregivers have their own traumas. There's no question about it. Um, and that path to talking needs to be discussed. So again, the questions that I see coming up are about this fear. And I think what you are, are proposing is a change of mindset. So what would you say to someone who comes into you and says, I don't know how to talk to my support people. I'm done, but I'm not done. Hmm. Great question. And, and it's completely understandable she feels that way. Um, or he, you know, it, it, it's completely understandable that person feels that way because of, of how much they value life and the relationship they have with that person. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that they would need to understand is the people who are there who supported you through those treatments are still going to be there to help support you now, especially if it's a family or loved one, because like I said earlier, cancer is not an individual disease. You know, if that person is there through thick and thin, you know, like I said, I got married uh, 11 months ago and I'm pretty sure in there it said, you know, until death do you part, you know, good times and bad times. And then you devoted to that. But everybody's communication style is a little bit different. However, if you just bring it up and, and say things like, hey, you know, I, I really want to talk about what's going on. Hey, what's going on? Because that person's going to show that they care about how you feel. You know, and, and so many people, here's, here's a good example. Um, I think so many people have a different perspective on how they look at life and how they, how, how they see things and how things work. They often think to themselves, um, you know, once I'm in shape, I'll feel healthy. Or once I'm a survivor, I'll be happy. So many people are waiting for something outside of them to change how they feel on the inside. What they don't understand is once we feel better inside, we begin developing a different perspective. You know, so many people might think, you know, once, once this changes and, and by this, something, something external, you know, once this changes, I'll, I'll feel better. I'll be more confident. I'll be happier. People don't realize it's the other way around. Once you feel worthy, once you feel confident, once you feel valuable, then you'll be able to generate the happiness, joy, confidence, etc. It's not the external stuff. You know, somebody says, oh, when I get my new car, I'm going to be so happy. You know, no, you, you're happy first. It starts with you. And, and if you want to talk to somebody about that, don't expect the other person to make you feel happy. You know, start within you first, work on you first, and then start expressing that to others. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense because, um, again, you were a child when you went through this. As an adult, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't say as an adult, I shouldn't generalize. I felt uh, by the time I got through my process, I was tired of being a burden, and I was tired of having people look at me differently. 
and I was tired of going to the doctor for a cold and getting a tip to toe uh, exam. And it just, I felt for a while that it was like, this is never, ever going to stop. And I think what you're saying is we got to repair ourselves. And I think, I think that is, I think it's the, the most important part of, of prevention and, you know, fighting back recurrence and doing is, is repairing ourselves bar none. Like when we're, we're talking about treatments and everything, the medical system um, is, 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 it's a must, in my opinion, you know, you need to be integrative. But when it comes to this prevention phase, and this is why I think, and the survivorship phase, and this is why I think that there's such a cliff, is that to me, the number one priority is getting your emotions and your mindset back in place. And this is where you're coming uh, on your white horse to help people, because I think it is absolute number one key. I really, really do. I believe that with all my heart. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and um, I'm, I'm glad you said, you know, as, as an adult, they change it. Like, this is how I felt because everybody, again, with, with what we're talking about, there is no judgment. Everybody has a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a, this common background. You know, we've all been through something, something horrible. We've all been something through uh, traumatic. We've all been through something that can, can definitely change how we feel. But I think if, if people don't realize that if they keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, I mean, Einstein defined that, defined that as insanity. Once people start developing a new relationship to the worry, to that thing, to the cancer, it's, it's gonna, if they don't develop a new perspective, it's going to continue having over and over and over again. And not just with your checkup, but any worry, mm-hmm. any cough, any sniffle, any sore throat. You know, because I've, I've, I've felt my, my lymph node before, and when I was younger, I was like, oh, my God, I have cancer. Mm-hmm. No. Stop yeah. those thoughts. The instant you recognize they're coming through, if you don't develop a different relationship to that worry, it's, it's a cycle. It's just going to continue happening over and over and over again. And it goes back to different challenges. Like I said, I'm, I'm developing a program, and I, I take it back. It's, it's not a program because programs are full of things that other people put together for you. This is, these, are, these are a series of challenges to help people get through what they're going through and help them develop a different perspective. So that way, they can develop a different relationship to that worry, to that cancer, to life. And, and Sean, when is your, is your so you're, you're not finished yet, when do you expect this to be, um, to be ready for people? Because it definitely is something that I will be promoting. Oh, I, I appreciate it. I want to. I want to have the whole thing ready to go by the end of this month. But people can go to. It's actually called Step Up. Stepupaftercancer.com. dot com. They can go there and sign up, and I'll, I'll send them everything once once it's ready to go. And I believe on there it's. Um, and if it's not, you know, send me an email through there, and I'll send you the uh, the values assessment tool, so you can take it and find out what your values are. Okay, terrific. Sean, again, another great show. Thank you so much for taking the time um, and sharing your wisdom with us. It's, it's very much appreciated. I, I appreciate it, too. But, you know, at the same time, I'm constantly learning from you. I'm constantly learning from others. And, you know, the, the teacher's the, uh, the student and the student's the teacher. Let's help each other and, and support everyone in the cancer family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show. And, everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada, 